Okay, welcome to this Professor Latinx video cast. And I have Christina Herrera and Trevor <laughs> Buffone. Or do we yeah, say Buffone. Thanks yeah. for having us. Okay, and Christina, you are currently um, professor and chair of Chicano and Latin American studies at Cal State Fresno. Mm -hmm. um, you have several books that you've published and have a forthcoming book with Rutledge called Chica Nerds. Mm -hmm. And um, of course, this co-edited volume with Trevor. And Trevor is uh, both a teacher at Bel Air High School of Spanish and also theater arts or Spanish primarily? I do Spanish, um, but I just, I do professional theater stuff. Professional theater stuff. Yeah. And also a um, professor there at the University of Houston. So let's welcome Trevor and Christina. Um, Trevor, you're also co-editor of a volume called Encuentro, right? Yeah, um, yeah, it's the theater stuff. Yeah, so welcome. And I know everything's kind of topsy-turvy in the world, but maybe <laughs> we can talk a little bit about Latinx kids and YA fiction. Um, and especially when I kind of think about um, um, this, uh, this, this book that you guys have um, done called Nerds, Goths, Geeks, and Freaks. Um, how did you uh, get into this project? What started it and, um, you know, what did you discover? Were there any surprises? Well, um, yeah, go ahead. Do you want to start, go. Trevor? Or do you <laughs> well, I think um, Christina and I met in 2014, was it? Yeah. Yeah, at the ALA Latinx Literature Symposium in San Antonio. And we just, um, we connected like every, you know, people do at conferences. And then we just started, you know, talking on Facebook. And then, you know, we kind of quickly realized that we work in very similar ways. Uh, we had similar interests in terms of literature, uh, similar like sense of humor and like the way we view the field as well. Mm -hmm. And so from there, we kind of were, you know, talking about what could we possibly do a project going forward? Uh, but we both had to finish some things. And then Christina, uh, uh, I'll let you continue because you had, I think, the idea for the project. Yeah, well, I was, I was working on um, an article that was published in 2017 by the Lion and the Unicorn uh, Children's Lit Journal. Um, and it was uh, the original article on Chica Nerds, which would eventually turn into my um, book. Um, and over conversations with, with Trevor, Trevor kept saying, you know you need to make this a book, right? It needs to be a book, an article isn't enough. But I wasn't, I wasn't ready yet to make it into a book. And finally, I just asked him, said, are you, when are you gonna contribute with me? <laughs> when are we gonna do this? Um, but, and so I said, I think we need um, an edited book um, because we had both talked about how we were doing some work um, in um, children's and young adult, the, Trevor doing some work on theater for young audiences. And so um, I, I think we were just chatting one of our epic um, Facebook Messenger conversations. <laughs> and um, I, I think I, on a whim, we just sort of came up with the title. How, like, how about nerds, gods, geeks, and freaks? Like we need to look at yeah. um, the outsiders. Yeah, the title Sorry? never changed. The title yeah, never the changed title. at all. <laughs> yeah, it never, it never changed. Um, and so uh, we sort of put in our interests together um, and we knew that it was time to finally work together because we've been floating with the idea for years, but it had to be the right kind of um, project. And, and this one was it. Yeah, and I think too, like since that, uh, when we met, we've been, um, editing each other's work uh, in an informal way, right? Whenever we finish yeah. a chapter or an article, um, Christina's the first person I send it to, and I think I'm the first person she sends her work to. And mm -hmm. so we understand the way each other works. And um, from there, it was very it was very obvious it was gonna be a smooth project. And I think, um, you know, based on the, um, the responses we've gotten from the book uh, in terms of when we submitted the call uh, and then conversations we've had with people since, I mean, there's a need for it, right? And just like your book with the interviews um, and then Christina's other book about, um, you know, education uh, in YA Lit, uh, there's a need for this, right? And so I think that's why we're here today, right? Mm -hmm. What, how, um, give us a little snapshot, um, maybe Christina, we can start with you, um, of, you know, how 
uh, nerds, goths, geeks, and freaks are kind of a part of your curriculum at the mm -hmm. university there? Um, well, in, in a lot of the classes that I, I teach, I, um, I like, you know, showing students representations of, um, of characters who are writers, who are artists, who are readers. And um, so one of the things I always do in class is I always refer to myself as, as a bookworm or as a nerd. Um, and I, I find that once I sort of out myself as a nerd, um, some of my like my nerd and hiding students come out and and <laughs> and they talk about why maybe they were reluctant to talk about you know um, their their geeky interests in sci-fi and comic books um, and so I I'm really conscious of the kinds of works that I um, incorporate to, um, to to try to show students that there are many ways of being Latinx many ways of being um, Chicanx and um, to get them to understand that there's a reason why we don't see these kinds of um, protagonists in mainstream culture instead of instead we see the common like the 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 homegirl the cholo uh, which are you know great representation I love studying those but that's not the only way and so I, I try to show my students that there are um, multiple ways of expressing identity um, and some that are very familiar with them but some that they've never really seen on the page and, or on the screen. Trevor. Yeah and I think um, Christina what you're saying reminds me of we both I think in our scholarly work and then also in my artistic work um, we are constantly trying to expand mainstream ideas of identity, right? And in this case, Latinx identity. And so, you know, I look at the ways that this book is, you know, taking back terms such as nerds, uh, specifically nerds, right? Mm -hmm. And how we, we grew up, all three of us, right? Uh, nerd was a bad word, right? It was yeah. a word that was used as, as an insult for a lot mm -hmm. of us. And the books that we're seeing in the, you know, the books that right, people are writing about in this book, they're talking about that, right? They're talking about taking that word back appropriating it back. Um, and then in my theater work, you know, I do the same thing. I um, produce a Latinx theater festival in Houston at Stages Theater. And it's been, you know, very much part of my mission to make sure that, you know, Afro-Latinx voices are centered in that work uh, and voices that often get left out of the picture, right? And so I think you see that in this book, right? There are, um, we talk about, you know, people write about Shadow Shaper and Labyrinth Lost and Afro-Latinx uh, outsiders, right? We have uh, queer you know, Afro-Latinx uh, characters in these stories, right? And so it's something that we're always trying to kind of think about and really push against these monolithic ident uh, notions of identity. Can you tell us about, a little more about nerds, goth, geeks, and freaks? You mentioned some of the essays. What I know um, in your sort of critical introduction, there's a lot of information. Was there anything in your, um, in the sort of process that just, that really surprised you actually, that you didn't expect maybe um, some statistics or some um, areas of kind of cultural production where we, you started to see stuff changing. Um, I'm just sort of thinking off the top of my head. I, I think, um, I will say this was the easiest project I've ever done. And by easy, I don't mean that it was traditionally easy, but it was very smooth. And I think that speaks to the relationship I have with Christina. Um, but along the way, I don't know that we had any, I felt like we didn't have any major revelations in terms of making this book, but the revelations happened outside of the book, right? Uh, in terms of like pop culture and mainstream United States culture. Mm -hmm. uh, for instance, the this explosion of Latinx nerds and like geekiness that has happened, right? Mm -hmm. um, whether it be um, Miles Morales, right, in Spider-Man, uh, Into the Spider-Verse, right? Like that, we, that was not in our introduction. And then the film came out and we're like, oh my God, we have to write about Miles Morales, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and then for instance, in the Heights film that's coming out at some point this year, hopefully, um, you know, the, the central story of In the Heights, the musical is about a girl who goes to Stanford and doesn't fit in because she's different, right? And so really I think 
you know, does that make sense, Christina? Yeah. Yeah, that I think change. so. That was, and that and maybe, and maybe if there was a surprise, it was, um, we just didn't expect there to be, um, as we were writing and, and as we were in, in the, the book's production, these different kinds of representations, we, we just were not expecting it. Um, and so um, one thing that I, I noticed, I, I was somewhat familiar with the, the Chicana, Tejana comedian, uh, Cristela Alonso. Um, yeah. And um, I, I was familiar with some of her stand-up, um, but she came out with, a, with another stand-up special right after we had started working on the book. And um, she refers to herself and in her stand-up and in her tweets as a nerd all the time. Yeah. Um, and she just published um, a book called Music to My uh, Years. And uh, my really good friend, uh, Larissa Mercado Lopez, uh, bought me a copy of that book. And I, I read it cover to cover, I think in a day or two, uh, while I was recovering from surgery in December. And she it, it was amazed by how many times she referred to herself as a nerd. So I think that's what was maybe a little bit more surprising is in a span of two two and a half years that we were writing the book, um, all of a sudden we see more artists and writers and comedians openly referring themselves as as geeks or nerds in a way that we didn't see, you know, maybe five years ago. Right. Yeah, there's, um, and now, of course, we have, um, I mean, you guys are so kind of prescient, but it's always been here. It's just mm -hmm. culture is starting to catch up. Our right. creators, our artists have been doing this. Our comic book folks have been doing this um, for a long time. But now, of course, we have the expanding university of uh, like Ashley Garcia, right? We mm -hmm. have Nayeli and Hintified. Valentina and Party of Five, right? You know, and it's like, yeah. okay, it's actually kind of cool to be the smartest mm. kid in the family. Right. Yeah, right. or even um, my students love On My Block. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, which is, these like nerdy kids, right? These nerdy yeah. kids of color. Totally, yeah, I love, I actually like that show too. I love it too, yeah. Um, so yeah, speaking of which then, um, yeah, so um, why focus on, you know, Latina, um, you know, ner uh, Latinx nerds, uh, on young Latinx nerds. Um, why now? Why do you think it's taken maybe the scholarly community this long to kind of like uh, study this? Well, I think uh, Christina will have something more, more smart than I'll, than I'll have, but I think in terms of, if we look at YA, you know, a lot of the nerd conversation is happening in YA fiction, right? In terms of literature. And, um, you know, Latinx YA, YA is like the hot thing right now. It's one of the few fields in literature, not fields, but like publishing fields that is actually growing, right? Uh, and becoming more, you know, lucrative. And so as that's happening, you're also seeing more nuanced stories come out, right? And so one of those stories is really about these nerds and outsiders. Christina is going to add to what I just said. <laughs> very brilliant. No, that was great. No, that was great. <laughs> um, uh, why now? Oh, gosh. I mean, I think it's like you said, um, Frederick, we, we've always been there. Um, and so in, in a way, this is nothing new. Um, but I, I, I think what I what was missing is just calling them, calling, referring to them as nerds. Um, you know, I'm thinking even some of the adult literature, Denise Chavez, you know, in her novels, yeah. Face the Face of an Angel, Loving Pedro Infante. I mean, she she's always written about young women, uh, middle-aged women who have these geeky interests. But um, I think it's about um, not sort of putting that word, um, nerd or geek, ascribing that to these identities. And I, I think it's because, um, Trevor, you mentioned this earlier, um, for so long, that's a word that's been, um, you know, it's um, Steve Urkel. It's right. it's the, um, the the comic relief, the person who's bullied. It's never been something positive. Um, for me, what changed was when I first saw the video, um, whom I, I, I reference in my own book, um, Bomba Estéreo, um, the song Soy Yo. Um, and suddenly, you know, days after the video is released, I'm seeing all over um, these different websites, um, you know, articles on these, you know, writers and journalists and bloggers who said that this young girl, Sarai Gonzalez, in the video spoke to them. 
um, in a way that made being a nerd, being um, fun-loving and geeky acceptable. Um, and I think what's really interesting is that this video also came around the time where a lot of these other um, uh, cultural websites, uh, Latinx culture websites like Mitu, Brenescla, were focusing a lot on Chola identities, you know, on um, Chola aesthetics, which is great. And, and um, I, I, I love studying and I love teaching about these different kinds of identities. But I, I kept asking myself, like, why only Cholas? I mean, why, like, there's so many of us who aren't Cholas. Um, it, what about these other kinds of young women who are not represented? What does that mean um, um, for them? What does it mean to not be included um, within the, the Latina narrative? So it's really interesting that at, at the time we're starting to see these um, examples of, of Cholas, um, we are also seeing other ways of being with the, the Bomba Estéreos book. I also, um, I have to give a shout out to my good friend, um, Elisa Rodriguez e. Gibson and Tanya Gonzalez around the time that they published the book on Ugly Betty. Yeah. Um, who, they don't refer to her as a nerd, but she is a nerd <laughs> in many ways. And um, I have to give a lot of credit to them as well for trying to um, shift the focus and, and try to expand what we mean by Chicanas, what we mean by Latinas. Let me ask you, can, what is different to the, and this might be, um, I don't know, maybe this is too academic, but the discourse of the model minority and that history and now the kind of celebration of Latinx nerds. Mm, yeah, I, um, I write about this in, in my own book. Well, because, um, you know, the model minority myth has always been ascribed to Asian Americans. And it's also it's a very limited way of, of understanding what it means to be Asian American um, in the US. Um, and, and within that narrative, it, it, the idea is that Asian Americans encompass this sort of passive um, ideal immigrant narrative on one end and on the other end, we have the negative. We have um, um, African-Americans and Latinx as unruly as not being good in school. So what it does, it, I think it just, it sets up this narrative where if um, you want to be considered down, if you want to be considered authentically um, Latinx, you have to be bad at school. Or if you're good at school, you have to hide it. Um, and that was certainly the case with me growing up and a lot of my um, very smart academic Latina friends right now who remember being called white or remember being called coconuts um, when they were in high school because they were in gate classes, because they were in AP classes. Um, and so it's, um, I, I think um, this celebration of nerdiness is, is a way of, um, challenging this idea that somehow being a nerd makes you the model. Um, it doesn't mean that you're complacent. It doesn't mean that you're assimilated. Um, so yeah. I, I, those are some of the ideas I'm kind of get, grappling with. No, and I mean, I see that with the high school students I work with. Um, yeah. It's the same, it's the parallel, it's the same conversation around Latinos who don't speak Spanish, right? How they feel like outsiders, right? Or not even feel, but uh, people talk about them as if they are outsiders. And I'm talking about my students. Uh, and you see that mm -hmm. with the nerds too, right? Um, with the, or with the students that are more academically inclined or the students that are not interested in, you know, the stereotype, right? And there's still a place for students who are, or young people who want to be the stereotype, that's fine too. Um, but I think it's really, it's an interesting conversation um, because it's kind of, it's becoming more normal, right? This like embracing mm -hmm. of, academic life, but it's also mm -hmm. still drawing up, or I'm trying to figure out what I'm trying to say, but I think y'all, you get it. <laughs> I think, yeah, and I, but I think to some extent, nerd is still considered or, uh, um, a, a, an insult. You don't want it, you don't want yeah. to be a nerd. Um, um, and so it's still really difficult. And even though um, we're seeing a lot of like pop culture, um, references to nerds and in the fashion industry, you know, oversized glasses and cardigans and these things, these kinds of clothing items that we associate with nerds. Um, I think what needs to be said is that on the everyday schoolyard, it's still really, really painful um, yeah. to be 
you know, to, to be that nerd, especially if you're a student of color. Yeah, and I will say too, in most of these um, examples, right, the books in our book, um, and also like the examples on the screen right now, um, they're not using the word nerd, you know, right? like Miles Morales, Spider-Man, they don't outright say, he never says he's a nerd, right? Um, mm -hmm. I mean, it's obvious, it's part of his identity, but it's not said. And I think what's not said um, lacks power sometimes, mm. you know? And I think by us naming it, it actually solidifies the identity in a way that didn't necessarily happen yeah. before. Mm -hmm. Right, in that positive, you know, naming it in that positive way. Yes, right? yes. Mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. I mean, this is crazy, but we all have this experience, right? Um, you know, going to a library or just seeing what kids are reading and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. But, right, so 6% of kids in YA Lit is written by Latinxes, and yet, um, I mean, and that's still tiny, right? Um, yeah. Um, but really, you go to libraries and, you know, classrooms, and we're not there. Um, you know, I imagine you guys have some ideas, of, you know, about this. Well, I think what's been interesting in looking at high school stuff is there are several books. Um, it, there's almost like the second, the next generation of Mango Street, right? Like uh, Gabby, A Girl in Pieces, mm -hmm. and yeah. um, I'm Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter are these like, you know, 2000s version of House on Mango Street. And um, notice I'm not giving another example because that that is the example or like Bless Me Ultima, mm -hmm. which isn't really YA. But... Um, mm -hmm. It's, it's rep, you know, the more diversity, more diverse books are coming out, but it's still replicating the same models, you know, that we've seen before. Like there isn't enough space some, for some reason for, you know, more than a handful of these books to exist in a classroom, right? Which yeah. is strange. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I mean, th what's so frustrating is that, um, you know, the, these have ongoing consequences. So by the time, students get to my, um, you know, college classrooms, um, for, for most of my students, when they come to my class, it's the very first time that they've seen um, a book written, or a poem for that matter, written by yeah. um, a, a Chicano or Latino writer. And so it, it's, it's challenging for me as a university professor because I have to undo years and years of, of, of the schooling where students think that there's no such thing as, um, you know, Chicanx, Latinx literature. And these are mostly Latinx students. Um, the majority of my students are first generation. Um, I serve a lot of undocumented students. Um, and yeah, they come to my classes thinking that they are not part of this history, that they are not part of a community of, of, of writers. And so, um, I, what, but I, what I would say is that I, I, I do enjoy teaching some of this material. I show my students some of the latest statistics, the Lee and Lowe um, diversity baseline um, survey that they just came out with. Um, I, it, it's, I think it's really fascinating to teach my students because it forces them to ask questions about the K through 12 system and um, what is or what is not assigned. Um, and what that means for them as um, students of color. And I see that too. I teach, so at the University of Houston, I teach LGBT studies and I, the same conversation happens regarding, you know, like queer history, right? And there's this idea, mm -hmm. and I think it happens with anyone that's not white or, you know, straight white, is that um, you're somehow supposed to know your entire like culture's history and the, uh, you know, the mm -hmm. history of your identity markers without ever getting talked, it ever being talked about in school, right? So mm -hmm. I have, you know, queer high, you know, queer college students who've never heard of Stonewall, right? Um, mm -hmm. They don't know anything about it, right? They just know, like, it's something. Uh, they know what they should know, mm -hmm. but they don't actually know anything about it. And so you see the same thing with, you know, Latinx students who have no, no concept of, of the history of the community, right? And it's not their fault. It's mm -hmm. the fault of the, you know, the white supremacist system that, school is right um i had a i was working at the high school i work at we have a latin dance group they're one of they're amazing uh, and they're one of the only ones in the the region like in the houston area and so i was working with these kids um they were i said what is one of your goals and they said well we want other high schools to have a similar program we want to train them and get them to have their own programs and i said oh there's no other schools that's kind of strange because houston you know we have over a million 
Latinos documented, you know, people like U.S. citizen Latinos in Houston alone. And um, she, I said, why do you think they don't have, you know, why do you think they don't have programs? And she said, well, I don't know. I said, well, it's white supremacy, right? School, like our actual school was built as a white place, right? My high school was a segregated school when it was built. Um, and because of that legacy, right, it's this like legacy of hate, like Rudy Acuna talks about, right? Um, we're still seeing the effects of that, right? And kids just don't see themselves represented. And so they don't have a chance to learn about who they are, you know? Yeah, it's pretty, it's a deep systemic problem, right? That right. Uh, we keep working in our own ways to fight against and to open spaces for, but gosh, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, we need, we need Latinx editors, we need Latinx mm -hmm. teachers, right? I mean, teachers, mm -hmm. you need them in front of the kids. Um, yes. That, yeah. Right? Um, library acquisition uh, librarians, et cetera, right? Um, mm -hmm. Gosh, you look at pub well, that Publishers Weekly and Kirkus Review and like, we need <laughs> them there too, right? I mean, that was, yeah. that brings up, uh, <laughs> I don't remember what press this was and I don't even know if it was our press. Um, for our book, but that was one of the things we encountered when we were submitting the proposal was yeah. this idea of so what? Like, because we thought it was like, oh, it's a book about Latinx literature. Okay, what's the catch? Like, what's the point of it? And we're like, oh, well, it's about outsiders mm -hmm. within a marginalized community mm -hmm. and this subset, mm -hmm. the sub, the sub community, and people, they just like did not get it, right? Um, yeah. You know, they just like yeah. didn't, didn't right. get it, right? Yeah. I mean, they ended up, <laughs> yeah. the University of Mississippi Press. They got it, but <laughs> it was very uh, <laughs> shocking to Christine and I when we got those initial reports because we're like, wait, what? Uh, well, off the record later, yeah. I'll ask you who that was, so I, I will avoid them. Um, <laughs> how, how would you respond to Latinx literary scholarship and teaching is so adult-centric? I, so, so I'm not a literature <laughs> theater person and I don't teach literature or theater explicitly and so I always look I, what I love about YA theater and YA uh, literature you know like fiction uh, or even poetry is that it's accessible to my students who are not used who are not literature majors or who are not theater majors um, so that's one of the reasons I always include it and my students appreciate that right uh, and I, I can assign you know a novel like Aristotle and Dante discover the secrets of the universe which I teach frequently and they can actually read the whole thing, and they do read the whole thing, uh, or they tell me they do. Um, whereas if I were to try to, you know, use a, an adult-centric novel that's the same content, they're not going to read it, or they're not going to have time because they work full-time, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's one of the reasons I really, I like it, and I use it. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think... Um, I think scholars need to be aware that so much of, of, of what is YA um, uh, literature can be used to teach, you know, these sort of core components um, yeah. in, in Chicana Latinx studies classes, you know, in, in the fall, um, I, I taught a, a Chicana feminism class and I included, I'm not your perfect Mexican daughter. Um, and it allowed us to sort of to really, um, if, if we want to use sort of the uh, neoliberal institutional language of, of certain you know, learning outcomes. It allowed us to sort of accomplish those learning outcomes, you know, by talking about things like um, not only gender and womanhood, but what it means to be a Chicana teenager, what it means to be not only othered because of your gender, because of your ethnicity, because of your class or sexuality, but also because of your age. Um, and, and so I, I, I think what was so successful about teaching that class is um, it allowed my students, predominantly Chicana, to have um, these this really, really deep conversations about how um, they were really marginalized in their families, not not just because of gender, not because uh, just because of sexuality, but because they were young and because they're cons because they're young, they're considered um, not having a mind for themselves or being less valued. Um, you, you need to listen to adults. Only adults can speak for you, um, and you can't possibly have your own uh, your own um, perspective. So I, I think I, I think um, the scholarship out there is still very very adult centric um, because I think we're still operating from that position that 
literature for young audiences is somehow not serious enough, or um, we can't have meaningful conversations about what it means to be an adolescent. And I know that's, that's completely false. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think too, the thing that um, I've experienced with, you know, well, I've always liked YA literature, but I felt like, I feel like for a lot of people who don't fit the mainstream, uh, when we come of age, we come of age with, you know, media and books and films that don't necessarily speak to who we are. Mm -hmm. And so I think for a mm -hmm. lot of our students, our college students, YA lit is um, a chance for them to kind of have that coming of age experience again, or understand mm -hmm. their own coming of age, right? Um, and I'm focused on coming of age because that's usually what YA fiction is about, mm -hmm. even when it's not explicitly about it. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that can be a quite powerful thing to help students understand who they are, where they've been, and where they can possibly be going. Mm -hmm. And I'll say one quick tidbit, um, I think it's amusing, is whenever we, so we share like our reader reports when we submit to journals and stuff, Christina and I, and it's still <laughs> in 2020, almost always the response is like, that they're, they're excited that there's content that's Latinx focused. You know, mm -hmm. the, the work still has to be, you know, rigorous, but they're like, oh my God, we got, you know, an, an article submitted about a Latinx book. We have to, you know, work with this person, you know. Uh, it's super strange. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. 2020. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's strange and disturbing. Um, um, <laughs> um, and of course, I'm happy for you both that so, that, that so much uh, glee and happiness around your work. Um, mm -hmm. Where is the heartbeat? in Latinx kids and YA lit today. Um, where, yeah, where, where you can maybe um, genre or, or is it just everywhere? I don't know, yeah. I think I, um, um, I, I think it's everywhere. I'm, I'm, um, I'm really, really drawn to um, um, some of the, the, the YA, the novels in verse. Um, you know, Elizabeth Acevedo is, is absolutely beautiful. Um, and um, Guadalupe Garcia McCall, um, you know, Margarita Engel. Um, so for me, I think that's what's, um, um, what is so pleasurable about um, Nothing Next YA. It's, it, it is, and children's lit. It's, it's the, um, the genre pushing texts that really that, that do sort of hark back to some of the more experimental texts of um, um, adult literature. Um, I'm, I'm also, I, I, um, Elizabeth Acevedo's recent novel with the fire set on high, um, completely different from the poetics. Um, this is a, a, about a teen mother who is a nerd, if you will. I mean, she wants to be a professional chef. Um, so she has these other kinds of um, interests, these interests that are not um, considered um, to, be, to be valid. Uh, but the fact that she, you know, Acevedo writes so authentically and sympathetically and critically from the perspective of a teen mom, especially when um, we have these really negative portrayals of, of teen mothers as dropouts, as teen mothers as um, um, you know irresponsible. Um, so um, I'm, I'm really, really digging Elizabeth Asolelo lately. Yeah, and I think, I don't know if this is quite where the heartbeat is, but you know, we know that YA literature is one of the fastest, uh, not fastest, but um, most successful genres of literature at the moment in terms of making money. Mm -hmm. And so because mm -hmm. of that, I think there is a moment right now that's happening where there are more Latinx um, YA kids lit books being published, right? And I mean, mm -hmm. Frederick, your interview book um, speaks to that, right? Like. 20 years ago, you might not be able to have written that book, right, with that many people. Mm -hmm. I was just looking at the table of contents like two days ago. I'm like, oh my God, there's so mm -hmm. many people in here and I don't even know about all of them, right? Um, and so I think mm -hmm. maybe that's not where the heartbeat is, but I think there, it shows there is a heartbeat and that it's moving forward. And I think also something exciting about, you know, YA Latinx Lit is you're finding stories about identities that are not necessarily seen in, um, and adult centers lit, right? There's there seems to be more Afro Latinx stories. There seems to be more yeah. uh, more nuance happening um, in a very interesting way to me. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, ben Signs even tells us yeah, yeah. in that book. He's like, 
I'm going YA because I get, you know, and it's not, the, <laughs> it's not the money, the fact that he's got a ton of readers, like, right. He's right. working this whole time in the adult, in the adult kind of space and building, yeah. building and kind of struggling with getting his yeah. readers. And then he publishes, right. His YA and boom, you know, oh, he's massive. And I think, yeah. too, I mean, this is, yeah, and I, you know, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, especially now, I feel like we have, you know, technology has given us so much time, but it's also taken up so much time. And I think um, for me, I love to read YA because I feel like I can actually get through a book. Um, whereas if I pick up a 500 page, 400 page adult centered novel, it feels, you know, laborious, like, oh God, how am I going to do this? Uh, or I feel like I'm in grad school again, right? Whereas I can pick up a 300-page <laughs> YA book and I can get through 100 pages in a sitting. I'm like, oh my God, I'm reading. I'm reading. It's happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I like that. Yeah, and I think it's something to be said. I think it's something to be said that, that um, the um, the yearly, they sort of beat the benchmark um, journal, children's literature. It's only published once a year. For their 2019 issue, the cover of the journal is from the Poet X. Um, and it's... So, I mean, there's something to be said about that, but at the same time, if you look through sort of back issues of, of children's literature, there is, I mean, there's just a handful of, um, of articles actually on Latinx um, or Chicanx children's literature. I have, I have an article published in that journal from 2016, their 2016 mm -hmm. issue. And I think um, um, that one is, one of the first in like 10 years it's it's something it's yeah. it's astounding and then in um the 2017 the lion and the unicorn um i'm i'm um i have the honor of being in that art that issue with um, um domino bettis and the same thing i think we i think we're like the only two in i don't know how many years mm -hmm. so it, it, it's it's interesting you know, that, that children's literature would use the Poetex, but weren't as a cover, but the representation in that journal, it's just not there yet. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think you guys are right. You know, there's still the sense that somehow um, in classrooms, we can't take students to those sophisticated spaces of idea working, of kind of um, self-concept, etc., um, that you can that you can only do with adult fiction or something. And you're like, actually, no, um, it's kind mm -hmm. of almost the opposite. And mm -hmm. I get that too with uh, teaching comic books, mm -hmm. you can imagine, right? Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So tell me, um, yeah, can you share some of um, your teaching methods? And I know Trevor, you're sort of famous for <laughs> some of your, your methods <laughs> um, uh, with the kids, but yeah, teaching Latinx kids, YA lit, just, yeah, how do, you know, I imagine you guys have, like, extraordinarily dynamic classrooms. I don't even have to imagine with you, Trevor, because I've seen your social media stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's, let's talk a little bit about methods and teaching and exciting spaces of learning. Do you want to go first, Christina? Oh, wow. Um... No, no pressure. Well, how about I'll go first, and I'll talk about <laughs> what I do with high school kids, and you can talk about the, sure. the college kids. So I, um, I, you know, I teach both college and high school, um, and with the high school, you know, it's, I've, I don't know, I've gone viral, I, I've been on Good Morning America and all over. You're uh, famous, because of what you're I'm famous. Doing. I'm famous, <laughs> no, it feels weird to say, but um, all I'm doing is really, you know, I have this wealth of experience um, in academia and in theater and community organizing. And I'm just taking those tools and using them with my students in a way that goes against what public education, K through 12 education mm -hmm. is supposed to look like. Um, and really it all goes back to listening to my students and really um, letting them dictate the culture of the classroom and letting them dictate uh, the way that everything runs. Right. So, mm -hmm. I mean, the content, they're not really dictating. I'm teaching Spanish. I have certain benchmarks I have to teach. But the way that we talk to each other is very much informed by, you know, feminist queer theory that I've studied. Right. Um, I try to use a non-hierarchical model in my room. I, even in my college classes, it's never, you know, it's very much, I enter the space 
as an equal with everyone. And I do this with high school students who are 14 and they're like, what is happening? Why is he talking to us like this? Why are, you know, um, but it goes against what they've learned and, or what they've, the way they've learned to learn, right? And um, because of that, I've been able to do the things like uh, the Instagram stuff, right? Where I dance with my students and really like what people don't realize is that they're the ones, they're the, they're the artistic directors, they're the choreographers, they're the people doing the technology, they're the ones deciding what we're doing. I never, I rarely ever will say like, hey, I wanna make a video doing this and they will come to me. It's really them dictating the content. And I do that a bit in my college classes as well, um, where um, any sort of project, I never say like, hey, we're gonna, you're gonna write this or you're gonna do that. It's very much, here's a, a general idea and you can take it in whatever direction you want. So I never, I, I used to, my first, you know, when I first started teaching college, I would use, um, I did like midterms and like final papers. And then I realized yeah. that's not fun to grade, uh, mm -hmm. nor is it fun for them. And so I do um, Cornell box projects, which are these, um, it's basically an art installation that they do for their final projects. And they choose from a huge list of uh, options and they create this like presentation art installation thing um, that, you know, originally they thought this is like show and tell or it's not, it's easier. And then they all, you know, every semester they tell me that it's not easier. They take more time on it. They have more investment in what they're doing and they learn more and they also enjoy it more. Um, and then I do, and a lot of people do this, but like intersectionality papers, but I say paper very loosely because I've had students, you know, submit artwork, videos, they, they write songs, they do performance art. I let them do whatever they wanna do as long as they're like doing something analytical and that's engaging with the concepts of the class. But I'm very much like, you know, whatever you wanna do, let's figure it out, you know? Um, there's more than more than academia than you know writing and taking tests. And the other thing yeah. I do is I let them mm -hmm. use whatever language they use that I know. Mm -hmm. So like, yeah, if they want to write in Spanish, write in Spanish for college. Yeah, yeah. And um, this semester I'm doing something a little different. Um, I'm we teaching a new class. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I'm um, I'm teaching a new class, um, Latinx Media. Uh, and um, one one of their assignments is to create a picture book, and um, this is based on, on um, a class day where I read to them um, dreamers. Mm -hmm. I read, and and I'm I'm used to reading poetry aloud to my students all the time, but I never just you know stood there and read an entire book to them, let alone a picture book. Um, and my students were amazed. I had one student, she broke my heart because she said it was the first time that anybody had ever read a book to her. And um, mm. I had students who started crying and, and, and were uh, talking about what it meant to them to see visually brown characters on the page. Mm. Um, and so I did this assignment, it's based on uh, what we discussed um, in relation to um, Chicano picture books but also um, in connection to some of our, our study of um, the Indocu queer artist, um, Julio Salgado, mm -hmm. um, and, um, and comic books. So we, I assigned America Chavez, I assigned um, you know, Dreamers, and then Julio Salgado's work. So sort of mixing um, those um, visual pieces together to have students create their own picture books based on any topic, any topic of their choice. Um, and so now, uh, because we've gone online, it, it'll be interesting how that all <laughs> takes shape. I imagine a lot of my students are gonna be um, talking about sheltering in place in, in their picture books. Um, so I, I've done that. So I think one of my methods I would say is that I incorporate um, children's and YA literature even in classes that you wouldn't think to assign. Um, so like the Latinx media class, for example. Um, but the other thing that I do um, fairly often um, is it's a really simple exercise. It's a Google Images exercise. And we oh, begin yeah. by searching um, the words Latino, Latina, Chicano, Chicana, and discussing what the images mean and why we have a tendency to see um, either Sofia Vergara or um, um, cho you know, Cholos. Why are, why are those sort of the only kinds of images um, that we see? So um, we, we start the conversation um, with 
of talking about representation. What does representation mean? Um, but then we also, uh, you know, begin with a conversation on, tell me about some of the books you read in K through 12. Um, and I'm expecting the same thing. Um, Hemingway, Shakespeare, you know. Uh, so I think um, it, it's, it's, I wouldn't know that it's a, uh, a set method per se, but these are things that I tend to do semester after semester. We do the Google images exercise. Um, we frame a discussion around K through 12 and who they study. Um, when I teach um, Yankee Delgado wants to kick your ass, well, we discuss that by having students look at um, statistics on bullying, um, statistics on push students who are pushed out, uh, and this is interesting because I have a lot of students who are Chicano studies majors, but also criminology majors. So um, I, I think it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting kind of um, dynamic. You can really tailor a lot of the books, like something like Yaki Delgado, uh, to think about the school to prison pipeline or, um, um, you know, having students discuss their experiences and having uh, armed police officers at their schools. Um, the, you know, three strikes and you're out, um, um, you know, the, the um, disciplinary tactics about bullying. And then I have students share interesting stories about their own experiences, either being bullies or being the bullied. And last semester, I had two students. Um, one was a victim of bullying, and I had the other student who was a bully. And reading that class, that, that text together was a really amazing experience. Yeah, I remember you told uh, me or a group of us about how when you taught that book, it made the students realize that they had been complicit in bullying, right? By like video, by recording mm -hmm. it on their phones, which yeah. is what happens in high yeah. school. And I talk to my students about this all the time is yeah. a fight breaks out and then everyone pulls out their phone. Yeah. And it's like, wait, yeah. you're, you're, you're allowing it to happen. You're encouraging it to happen. And then yeah. there's this like bullying porn that happens on social media. Yeah. You know? In, in Yaki, yeah, Yaki Delgado is, um, it yeah. is one of my favorite books to teach and uh, my students have such visceral reactions to it. It's I, not surprisingly yeah. for their final paper, um, I, I would say like the majority of students want to write about that <laughs> uh, because it, 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 the, the whole scene um, when, when pity is, is um, jumped and it's it's recorded on on YouTube. It is such a 21st century phenomenon, um, and I, th I think a lot are drawn to it because they know it's a work of fiction, but they know that fiction yeah. is more real um, than you know fact. Yeah. So as we kind of come to our close of this video cast, Book of Life, uh, one of my favorite. Um, feature animation from yeah. Jorge Gutierrez and uh, of course Ice Cuba's Candlemaker encourages the detention kids and of course um, goth Latinx, right, uh, <laughs> some of which, um, um, of color to go write their own stories, to go write them in, in a way you guys have just been talking about that, right, kind of investment in the learning and feeling empowered to um, write our own stories, to write their stories. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, isn't that- They're the future, right? you know. <laughs> Isn't that kind of, um, gosh, you know, there's, I know we have so much learning going on in the classroom, but in a way, the learning and the empowering kind of have to go hand in hand and um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right, and then and and so empowered to tell your Latinx nerd story or your Latinx goth story yeah. or your, whatever it happens to be, right? Yeah, well, the and, you know um, the work that we both do um, is we want our students, whether it's college students or my students who are dancing, you know, in high school, we want them to see themselves as creators and see themselves as having a story that's worth being told and worth mm -hmm. being the subject of something in a classroom in college, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think mm -hmm. um, we've spoken to that today and I think our book is a testament to that. Yeah, and I, the student, uh, students have to know that they are worthy of, of uh, being written about. Um, you know, this semester, um, I have a student who identifies as non-binary 
and um, they came to my class, I mean, to my office multiple times and um, in, in, in a lot of distress. And, and I, one thing that I do all the time to students who are feeling um, just sort of like an outsider, not, not really finding their place, as I always recommend um, books. Um, and so I told them, you need to read uh, I'm Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter. And um, they, uh, and, and Erika Sanchez actually came to Fresno State and spoke and my student was there. And um, I, I encouraged my student to go and, and, and talk to her and to say what the book meant to them. And uh, my student you know, brought me to tears. And they, they said, you know, as, as a brown, as, as a queer, as a non-binary student, um, this book told her that, you know, told them that I, that I matter. And, and that was, it was something, it was something that my student had never, had never known before, never known that their, um, that their life was worth celebrating. And, and it's, um, I, I think that's, what's really important. I, I think of, I think of my non-binary student. I think of my other queer students whose um, stories have never been told. Mm -hmm. um, so just a f you know maybe final couple of words to teachers and scholars uh, Latinx teachers scholars teachers and scholars in general um, in terms of Latin Latinx kids and YA lit um, I know you've shared so much here right now but any kind of final words of wisdom you know um don't don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of of um, of, of teaching some of these books, even that you're not um, familiar with. And I think what's important to understand with if if you're if you're a high school teacher right now, if you're a K through twelve teacher, there's so many more resources than there were fifteen yeah. years ago. Um, you know, um, Latinx and Kids Lit um, is a wonderful resource. Has so many suggestions um, on on books. Um, uh, to, to incorporate um, the publisher, Lee and Lowe, Piñata Books, have wonderful websites with um, resources like authors' interviews. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I really think that you're, um, for those K through 12 teachers who are interested in, in using some of those sources, um, they're in a much better place um, than when, certainly when I was a high school student. Yeah, and I think the three of us, we're here today because we're having this conversation because books changed our life, right, uh, at some point. Um, and I think, you know, it can do that for any child, right? It's a matter of finding the right, just like your story with uh, I'm Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter. It's a matter of, you know, even if you haven't read it, to just know, like, here are the books that are working for other people. Here are the lists I can give to students. Um, that can be a powerful thing. You don't have to be the expert, you know? Thank you both so much. And, Thank you. Uh, and Thank uh, you. I will send, uh, once this is all kind of uploaded to YouTube, I'll send you the link so you can share it. Um, I'm going to send it over to the folks at U Mississippi so they can use it. Um, cool. Thank get you. Some, um, get right. some buzz awesome. uh, around your book. And, um, yeah, thanks for taking the time. It was awesome to, to see Thank you. Thank you for having us. Some time together. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and hopefully we'll actually get to spend time in person. Yes, um, one right? day. <laughs> we can leave our houses one day. <laughs> okay. okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, thank Bye -bye. you so much. Bye-bye.